This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, Love Never Dies, Romance versus Obsession in Speculative Fiction. Oh man, am I looking forward to this. <laughs> this episode was Madeline's idea, so <laughs> well, what set you off? <laughs> so I watched a movie recently with my partner called Over the Moon. Um, it came out in 2020. It's an animated movie. It is on Netflix. Um, so, uh, and I'll talk about it a little bit later on in more detail. Um, now, what happened was... <laughs> My partner and I both were sick and we thought, uh, let's just watch something like gentle. Let's watch something fun. (laughs) We're going to watch like, like this fun little animated movie. Um, it's just, it wasn't gentle, was it? It, oh God, it was brutal. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely brutal. I was bawling my eyes out. Um, at, at the end and uh, you know at several other points it was it hit a lot harder than I thought it was going to um and not because it wasn't appropriate it was totally appropriate but it was um ultimately I thought it was going to be this fun little adventure about a girl who builds a spaceship so that she can uh get to the moon so she can meet the moon goddess uh from Chinese mythology um <clears throat> Chang'e uh, who I think we've mentioned previously. Uh, yep. But yeah, so Chang'e, she's the moon goddess. She was separated from her husband, Hoi Um There's several explanations for why she was separated. Some say it was accidental. Some say it was on purpose. Essentially, they were given uh, sort of elixirs of immortality and she took them, she took them both, um, thus becoming a goddess, but being separated from her husband. Um, and so I just thought, oh, okay, it's going to be yay. And we're going to get a little bit of sort of, you know, a little bit of mythology in there. It's going to be great. Um, it wasn't, it was a movie about grief and about not being able to let go of people who have died. And for the little girl, it was her mother. So that was always going to hit hard for me. But essentially what happens is the reason she decides to go to the moon is because, She's lost her mother and her father has started seeing someone else. Right. And she doesn't like this. She kind of wants to stop it because she feels kind of like her her father should just be, uh, you know, shouldn't be trying to replace the mother, that the father should always just have the mother in mind, if that makes sense. So that, like, that hit hard. And they kind of looked at depression and they looked at sort of how grief kind of makes you stagnate and stuff like that um and it was it it was the first time i'd seen a movie which had this kind of idea because a lot of the time with with chunga um and hoi uh they've been separated he died on earth and she's on the moon but there was this whole idea which is that they still deeply love each other that they're still kind of waiting for the opportunity to get to kind of come back to one another yeah, you know, and that scene is very, very romantic. And it was the first time that I, that they put forward this idea that um, you can love someone, you can still love someone, and you can let them go at the same time. And there's this brilliant moment, 
I don't want to spoil anything, uh, but you do get this line, which is, um, our love is eternal, and then almost in the same breath, you need to move on. Yeah. Um, and that is... In, it was a revelation because that is obviously an incredibly wise thing, and we're going to talk about that in more detail. But it was the first time I'd seen it in movie. It was the first time someone had said, this kind of love is actually incredibly dangerous. Um, and not an indication of sort of a healthy space for an individual. Um, and so that hit really, really hard. And it's a theme that I've kind of played on as well in my own writing based on experience. Um, so I suddenly went, wow, this is really good. And then I, I wanted to kind of talk about it in a little bit more detail because it is so important. So um, I kind of went, Jules, Jules, <laughs> let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Yes. Um, yeah. So there's there's various different... We've got basically three main tropes that we're looking at today that are sort of branch off this. Yeah. Um, before we get into it, just a couple of caveats. Um, I always feel the need to say this when we start touching on anything to do with romance mm -hmm. because I've obviously self-confessed don't really read romance as it is. And I don't want people to think I'm like throwing throwing beanie babies at romance because I'm absolutely <laughs> not. Um, we're really not setting out to, to bash it as a genre or as a subplot in speculative fiction because, as we've said before, romance is not merely much-needed escapism for many people. It's one of the best-defined and versatile genres. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it has, you know, the, the most forgiving, open-minded and sex-positive audiences generally. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't want to bash that at all. And I, I may not be a straight-up romance reader, and I don't think Madeline is that much, although maybe slightly more than me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we respect the hell out of the genre and the people who write it, so, you know, just yeah. want to get that in there to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is, as always, no disrespect. We're putting forward our ideas, and we're always open for debate and argument as well. You know, we're always open to hear the other side of things. Um, and Jules and I have, over the years reevaluated lots of our arguments and our thoughts um, as more information has been presented to us we are just putting forward these ideas so um, as always uh, if you disagree with anything we're talking about today we love to hear from you um, do let us know uh, we're always interested in kind of trying out new ideas and reconsidering definitely and I will say that many a, sub a speculative fiction subplot well, many speculative fiction main plot actually would be quite flat without a romantic subplot. Oh yeah, totally agree. Um, and I'm not going to lie, sometimes I can really love a series um, and the romance is one of the main selling points for me. Yeah. You know. I, I wouldn't say that's usually the same thing with me. I tend to go the other way. But it is that, that thing. I never ship except when I do. And then when I do, I ship really hard. Yeah. <laughs> Go hard or go I'm, home. <laughs> I'm, I'm ride or die. And I never know quite when it's going to happen, so it's quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm the same. And, it, it, you know, it used to be that I was very much sort of like, I don't get why people are sort of getting so upset about these kind of ships or stuff like that. Like, I don't really, I don't really mind. And then every now and again, I'm just suddenly like, yeah, no, I, I am so for this ship that I, I feel physically kind of like, what outraged if anyone <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
even suggests the other. Because I, I tend to actually be quite sort of, yeah, it's funny to sort of consider this ship and this ship. I mean, I do it with my own characters as well, just yeah. for the hell of it. So, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I can be quite ride or die um, as well, as, as has been obvious with certain characters uh, in the past. <laughs> Anyway, um, what we are going to be talking about today is we're going to be taking a look at some of the slightly dicey tropes um, uh, that sort of surround this love never dies idea. Um, and we're going to be examining whether they are actually love stories or romance at all, or whether actually we're kind of leaning into horror there, if we apply it realistically. <laughs> And that's the thing. And, you know, quick reminder, there's a difference between love stories and romance. Love stories don't necessarily have happily ever after endings, whereas romance almost exclusively does. Yes. So it's a bit like the folk songs. A love song always ends tragically, usually with the heroine dying somehow. And a song with love in it is, is one that could end on a happier note. So, weird distinction, but it's worth keeping in mind. Love and horror really go hand in hand. <laughs> they really do. folk songs and general speculative fiction. <laughs> there is a reason that the gothic is, like, the mother of speculative fiction. Yeah, it's, it's basically, you know, horror and romance got together and had a love child, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, but this is, I mean, this is the interesting thing. Is I don't want to go too much into the gothic, but horror is basically... The horror genre, as we know it, was born from the gothic. I, I, you just cannot separate the th romance from horror. Um, and this is, I think, because there is something... It's it, it's actually more of a, a spectrum rather than two kind of other things. Is that you have romance on one end and horror on the other. And there's a, there's a point where they mix. Um, and we might actually be venturing into those waters today. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh... Buckle in for this one, guys. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. So let's start with the love never dies uh, trope. So this trope is basically um, a sub-genre in its own right at this point, really. Um, and it shapeshifts and appears in sci-fi, paranormal romance, slipstream romance, time travel romance, and many, many more. Yeah. In fact, you could probably you could probably find in pretty much anything with a speculative element. Uh, y you can find it, and sometimes without a speculative element too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the idea is simple: two people fall in love, and due to some very, in this respect, science fiction fantasy type reasons, mm -hmm. cannot be together and are forced to part. In yes. its most extreme form, the pair are divided by time, space, species, or even worse. <laughs> <laughs> or all three <laughs> or all three yeah some combination thereof um it's really easy to see why this trope is popular uh wouldn't we all like a love st so strong that it transcends time and space yes i think in fact there's a line from the film of practical magic where one of the sisters actually says and i dream of a love that even time will lay down and be still for and it's a very beautiful concept if you look at it just in those poetical terms. Yeah. However, if you then apply a real-life context, it's utterly horrifying. <laughs> it really, really is. Um, <laughs> there's something very unhealthy about not being able to let go, essentially. Yeah. 
yeah definitely so some of the problems with this trope um, we're just going to have a, have a look through the general ones and then look at a couple of examples in a bit more depth yeah as well um so obviously letting go when something doesn't work for whatever reason is a very healthy part of the grieving process definitely and here's the thing you might genuinely love somebody and for whatever reason you part i mean if they die that's a very final parting um and you know that that's a lot to then process and get over um it's something that that gets really thoroughly explored in one division mm-hmm. where they have that brilliant line what is grief except love continuing yeah and you know the, that entire show is about not being able to let go, which is disastrous for someone like Wanda because obviously she has all these terrifying powers. Yeah, and it just gets her grief gets filtered through them, so that's that's bad. Um, but but yes, it, it's it's a healthy part of the grieving process. If you split up for any other reason, you know you might genuinely still love that person, but just because you love them doesn't necessarily mean that you're meant to be with them or that you can work things out sometimes there are things that you can't get past yeah. for whatever reason and sometimes it can be as simple as you you live on the opposite side of the world and neither of you genuinely neither of you wants to move and i know there are people probably sitting there going well in that case then obviously it's not really love because if it was then you do anything and i think that's my argument is no actually if you are a complete and well-adjusted person you wouldn't necessarily always do anything yeah absolutely um and and it's it's kind of an interesting thing you know you you touched on that line in in wandavision um i think jamie anderson uh i think it's jamie anderson he he has a a similar uh similar line which is uh hang on a second i'm gonna find it because it's so good yeah okay so here it is Grief, I've learned, is really just love. It's all the love you want to give but cannot. All that unspent love gathers up in the corners of your eyes, the lump in your throat, and in the hollow part of your chest. Grief is just love with no place to go. Yeah. Um, I love that quote. I think it's a great quote. Um, And I think it also touches on what you're talking about there, which is actually that kind of... um, because love is is a very kind of active emotion, if that makes sense. It makes us want to do things. Um, and if we think of grief then as love and making us want to do things, it's kind of like it's a force that doesn't necessarily paralyze because I think grief can be paralyzing when there's nowhere for that love to go. But it can also then try and make us reach and do things and be active because you want to you want to find a place to put that love um and so it's actually it can be hard to put to rest if that makes sense yeah um and yeah and as you know as as you you were touching on there as well grief we tend to associate grief just with someone dying um it it isn't always about that you can grieve a person you are no longer with, you uh, you know, because of, as you say, they're on the other side of the world or something like that. You can also grieve the person that you were, etc. Or that you could have been. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's a big one. Um, grieve what could have been. Grieve the possibility. Um, 
yeah <laughs> it's a really big emotion it, it definitely is um and another weirdly th- th- there's obviously a lot of things either we're noticing this more mm. in speculative fiction lately or there's more of it coming out i think there's slightly more of it coming out because obviously i just mentioned one division but also mm. midnight mass yeah which by the way if no one has what if you haven't watched that yet you must absolutely go to netflix right now and what then binge watch midnight mass it's amazing <laughs> but the whole premise of that even though it's a very stephen king s salem's lock type setup yeah and it's unabashedly you know showing its colors in terms of its origins the entire thing is about grieving and mm. loving someone and being able to let them go and being able to let parts of yourself go um having parts of yourself having parts of who you could have been taken away from you yeah and learning to be a different person um and it's just so amazingly well done in that respect and then you've got things like Bly Manor which again touches on the same sort of ideas yeah absolutely um and again we're we're seeing here how horror and romance come together um and how it is that you know that spectrum rather than two separate entities um because to love is also to lose inevitably um and if we think of grief as a kind of love as well you know again it's kind of part of that spectrum yeah definitely so yes getting back to our original point about the whole love that transcends space time etc yeah and you will always feel this way which is kind of what gets pushed at us a little bit mm-hmm. in some of the, the the sort of slipstream type romance things that's all fine and worthy um but the not being able to move on part is actually as we said not terribly healthy um obviously holding on and trying to force something to work no matter what is often a sign that you have some serious issues you probably need to fix within yourself as well yeah absolutely um it's <laughs> and again it, it there's a difference between fiction and and reality and there's also differences of situations so if someone has died and and like for example if if you've been married to someone for years and they pass away and you make the active choice not to kind of be with anyone else because really you feel like no i've loved this one person i don't have it within me to kind of love anyone else romantically um that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing no absolutely Um, not that can be uh, that can actually be an active and healthy choice for you yeah exactly um where it kind of is a bad and i say a bad thing where it's a very sad thing is where you then cannot get on with the rest of your life yeah um that's incredibly sad um and it does happen and obviously you can definitely have moments where you kind of want to feel you feel like you kind of want to give up and stuff like that and again i'm not kind of putting it down towards oh that's uh, that's an awful thing it's not it's just life but it it's interesting to me because so often we're at you know we're put forward that this is this is beautiful this is true love and that people who do decide to move on, people who who are capable of kind of finding someone else or getting on with their lives, are not as admirable as people who would rather suffer and be in pain and hold on to that. And it holds on, and and it, it sort of lark, uh, larks back to that. Larks back. I have no idea what I'm saying. 
um, it kind of it it pulls back to that idea of of the of how beautiful tragic love is, um, and yeah, that's all very nice in poetry. It's all very nice in poetry. Oh, how tragic! How beautiful! Um, it's in reality incredibly sad, and the way that it's glorified is what I kind of have a big issue with. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think some, and I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I'm just going to mention this and people can check our other episodes. <laughs> um, but it's that idea of not letting go in that respect actually has its roots in the chivalric tradition yeah. of courtly love. Mm-hmm. And as we know, courtly love is not really about romance and love. It's about, you know, illicitly craving sex with your boss's wife. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, yes, all the stories, you know, Guinevere and Lancelot, um, Heloise and Abelard, etc, etc, Tristan and Isolde, yeah. which is not a love story at all, that really is a horror story in my it opinion. super is. <laughs> um, yeah, this is, all, this is all fine and great and it seems, it's the whole, it's a fine and private thing, but it needs to be put in its place. And I guess the whole idea of not being able to let someone go, well actually, maybe you don't ever completely let go of them, maybe you, you still love them, you just find a place to keep that and it's a private thing and mm-hmm. you can get on with your life it doesn't mean that you've abandoned them or been been untrue yeah that, that's the other thing um so i don't know i think there's a an unhealthy sort of selfish element to the whole oh wow we will never love another blah 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 and i will not do anything i will sit like miss havisham in my decaying mansion <laughs> with my rotten wedding cake at that point it's kind of like you love someone like you're holding a grudge yeah, that's a great way of putting it yeah and I think with Miss Havisham that's definitely <laughs> you love someone like you're holding a grudge oof that <laughs> write that snap mic drop <laughs> <laughs> write that down Jules damn <laughs> you're absolutely right why doesn't it come right. to me when I'm writing <laughs> <laughs> that's Whew, that that hits hard. There we go. That's just that's that's a pitchfork straight to the guts. Um. <laughs> okay. Um. Obviously, because it, with the whole transcending time and space, we're going to do a very specific example in a moment. But mm. there's one thing I want to mention about the disparities of time. Uh, let's say two people split up. They don't see each other for twenty years. Neither of them completely one hundred percent gets over the other. But perhaps they move on. They marry other people. They meet other people. They have lives. They have children. Whatever. And then at some point in the future, 20 years later, they happen to bump into each other or whatever again. Mm. Um, you see this in a lot of non-speculative fiction. And what it's usually exploring is whether they are actually still in love. And generally the answer is not really, because they're different people by that point. What they're in love with was the people who they originally were and with the people they were themselves with that person if you see what i mean absolutely yeah it's it's almost like nostalgia to the power of 10 and trying to trying to get back to a a youth that you had kind of thing and it's a bit more complicated than just to say midlife crisis because it's not that at all it's yeah I, i left something behind just on the edge of childhood and i'd quite like to revisit that place again yeah absolutely and again we you know we've touched on that idea of of grieving what could have been yeah um, and that is a really real thing. Um, and it's kind of a grief that you should allow yourself to. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, but yeah, it's okay to be sad for the things that didn't pan out. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, and and to and to give that you know it's due to accept that to ruminate on it and then to let it go. Ultimately, um, because yeah, time moves on, and it's it's also kind of one of those things, which is the you know the illusion where you think back to that thing, you think, oh, that could have been a great romance. But the fact of the matter is, is that the time's gone. Yeah, you are that, a different person. And if you try to kind of relive things or try to, you cannot recreate what has gone, essentially. Definitely um, not. Not, not uh, certainly not in a uh, sustainable way. You could have a day, maybe. Maybe a, a few days, you know, where you kind of, you get to sort of be that person again but it is it's a game it's dress up um it will end because yeah. you can't sustain it you just can't um you know i will say that i within my limited range of enjoying romance as it is is for its own sake um i do like the odd second chance romance you know it didn't work 10 years ago because blah 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 whatever yeah. the reasons they're usually quite silly 10 years later, maybe they're a bit more mature, so they're more likely to make things work when they bump into each other. But they relearn each other and they re-fall in love. It's not a case of we're trying to recreate something that got abandoned for very good reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. I, I, I really like that as well. Um, interesting. I've been sort of reading a series. Uh, I recommended the book a while ago. Uh, now Claire Gradiger's um, the the unexpected return of Josephine Fox. There's an element of it in that, in that you have these two characters who um, were f sort of friends as as kids, and one of them definitely liked the other. And now there's something kind of brewing between them, um, but it's complicated. They're both very different people now. Um, and they've both, you know, one of them's been literally through the war, World War One, and is incredibly damaged because of it, um, both physically and mentally. So, you know, they're very, very different people. And what interests me is that the people that they were before, despite the fact that perhaps there was some interest, at least on the side of one of them, um, <clears throat> couldn't have had couldn't have connected on you know on the same level as the people that they've now become yeah i did go and buy that audiobook by the way i meant to tell you oh good <laughs> yay <laughs> i'm looking forward to it i've got i've got a list of audiobooks to get through but I'm, i thought i'll get to it sooner if i get the audiobook <laughs> yeah sorry didn't mean to do that, that no no um, not but, at all. But yeah basically in 20 years time you will not be exactly the same person you are now and you shouldn't be no. Because change and growth generally are healthy things. Yes. Uh, you are not the same person you were 20 years ago. And I don't just mean physically. You, you Hopefully you have <laughs> matured, you've grown, you've gained more wisdom and judgment. I really hope you have. <laughs> Otherwise, what are you guys doing? <laughs> I mean, like, where was I 20 years ago? A <laughs> 10-year-old. I really, really hope that I've changed. Was, yeah, I was going to say, you were still on the scene 20 years ago. <laughs> Oh, 20 years ago and I was yeah I, I look back and I, in some ways I was very mature but in other ways I was like um yeah I, look, I wouldn't go I wouldn't go back I wouldn't go back because I genuinely think that 
um, I am a better, more balanced and more reasonable person now. Please don't laugh at that. No, I, <laughs> I'm not going to laugh at that in the least. Um, time is a great teacher. Um, yeah. So yes, <laughs> totally with you. And I have got to say that I, I really enjoy it as I get older, the fact that I give less of a shit about stuff that is absolutely irrelevant and pointless. So things that I would have agonised over in my 20s, now it's kind of like, eh, my field of fucks is fallow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really Tis fallow, forward. my lord. <laughs> <laughs> it beareth no crop. Um, I'm actually looking forward to sort of in 20 years time, well, maybe not the aches and things, but 20 years time when I actually don't give a shit about any of the stuff I did in my 30s and 40s. That'll be great. Yeah, my, that's that was what my mother said. She said, that, that, she said, um, one of the best things about sort of getting older, she said, I just don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> and I was just there like, yeah, good for you. Something to look forward to. Definitely, definitely something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So in its most extreme iteration, this trope, that is the, the love never dies, transcends all time, etc. Um, it isn't really about love. It's about obsession. So let's look at two very specific examples. Mm, okay. Um, um, we might have more, but let let's start with with Dracula. Um, and we mean very particularly the nineteen ninety four version, uh, Francis Ford um, Coppola version. Hmm? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a, a we've actually done an episode that covered this, as in the Dracula you got is not really the Dracula that was intended. Yeah, <laughs> so check out that episode if you want more, so that we don't go off on a tangent. But basically, Dracula was not intended originally to be a great romance. It was very definitely intended to be a horror story about megalomania. Yes. <laughs> but, 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 um, but people seem to have really, because of the way it was packaged in Victorian England, um, people have leaned on the romance and it has got more romantic over time. Yes. And it's this idea of I will cross oceans of time for you. And they definitely leaned on it in it's my favorite iteration of dracula i've got to say mm. where dracula is going to london and it, you know when you look at this you can see the plot hole for what it is because he doesn't know mina is in london at that point yes. he's already buying up property and like why are you buying up property in london were you just hoping she might pop into existence <laughs> around this time but the the premise is that he is definitely going to carfax abbey Mm -hmm. and he's buying property around England and obviously Jonathan Harker is sent to uh, Wallachia to Southern Transylvania <laughs> to assist him in purchasing this property and to do the legal stuff um, we all know that that doesn't ter go terribly well for Jonathan Harker Jonathan Harker's fiance, who's waiting for him at home mm -hmm. um, in this version of it is the reincarnation of Dracula i.e. Vlad Tepish's great love Elisaveta Yes. Um, who killed herself when she received a, a message from the Ottoman Turks saying that her beloved prince had been killed during battle, which was not true. So it's already a very fucked up Romeo and Juliet situation right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, and as long as you don't squint too hard at the plot holes, it's this great lush, arty, sweeping film that's full of horror and gothic romance. And it's, it's amazing. But when you when you start sort of taking it apart a little bit, it's like this is not good. This is this is this is, this is not a case of ah oh, well um, 
you've died I, I am gonna act out a little bit on my grief which would be perfectly normal this is I renounce God I embrace the devil and I shall become a creature of darkness and feed on blood and damn everybody who crosses my path yes with my own unholy gift because the world is not worth living in now that she's dead and not only because she is dead but because the priest who is clearly an absolute moron because <laughs> if ever there was a time for a priest to lie it was in that moment to Vlad Tepic <laughs> um, says oh well she has taken her own life uh, she is damned you will never reunite in heaven at that point it would have been a really good idea to say God is forgiving God is love of course she will be in <laughs> embraced and you know Vlad Tepes who it wasn't actually Vlad Tepes who Bram Stoker was writing about by the way but eh, no, again yeah. <laughs> um, in this instance it's Vlad Tepes um, he goes absolutely apeshit at that point <laughs> and then you get this several hundred year old monster who's basically a serial killer yeah <laughs> well done George I don't know what the priest is called but <laughs> It's like, think, you're supposed to be an educated man of God. Did you really think that was the best thing to say to a <laughs> grieving psychopath? <laughs> this guy impales people for fun. <laughs> How did you think he was going to react? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, but... Yes, we all get swept up in the lush drama and, you know, the, the, the epic romance and adventure of the thing. Because it is a tragic love story. There's no way they can be together because he is literally not the person that she loved in the previous life. Yes. And he tries to tempt her with darkness and she sort of goes halfway. And in the end, she's the one who releases him, which makes a lovely roundness to the story, if you like. Yeah. Um, In terms of being kind of a, a gothic romance. But yeah if if you look at it on its own merits it's like this should not be aspirational guys yeah certainly um and you know i i don't think it's meant to kind of be aspirational um but i think there's many things that aren't meant to be aspirational which still people still read as aspirational um such as wuthering heights which we'll talk about in a little bit um <laughs> yeah um and I suppose it's become so iconic and it's become it iconic is. for good reason it is a very good film but yes uh, the love transcending time in that instance is, is not really a good thing yeah absolutely um, and yes it is again it's this idea also of romance being a positive thing I think you can have something which is romantic which is not actually meant to be positive in the least yes. if that makes sense um, and certainly I would say that this is not it is romantic it's not a positive kind of romance and it's not kind of actually meant to be selling itself as a positive kind of romance <clears throat> no uh, which brings us on to Outlander yes which I would like to point out that I did actually enjoy the first couple of books and I did enjoy uh, the first couple of seasons I got a bit fed up because every time she needed something exciting to happen somebody got raped and it yeah. that kind of lost my interest because I'm like but you're in this century you have so much history happening you can come up with something else um, so I got annoyed I may go back to it at some point uh, but, but in terms of historical detail and and stuff like that I was I was hooked I, honestly I don't care about Claire and Jamie's relationship which I realise is the entire point of the series 
I genuinely don't care. I wouldn't have cared. I mean, I think it got onto the third season where Claire is back <clears throat> and she's now in her early 50s and she's in her own own life, etc. Yeah. And they've spent 20 years apart. And I actually found it more interesting being in sort of the 1960s <laughs> than being in 1780 or wherever it's supposed to be. Um I would have been quite happy if we'd followed her continuing her own life and followed Jamie continuing his own life rather than her conspiring to do another time jump back to get back together with him. One thing that it did interest me about that was the fact that when they see each other again, they're kind of out of sync. Yeah, I mean, I'm going kind of from the book here. Yeah. But and there, <laughs> there's a weird thing where she kind of turns up in his his printing press because he's printing seditious pamphlets of course he is he's jane yeah. he couldn't keep his head down if he tried <laughs> and he's like oh is it is it you satanac etc and she just kind of takes all her clothes off in the shop and i'm like what the hell maybe a cup of tea first or is you know is that the irish coming forward let's solve it with a nice cuppa um, uh, anyway so that but yes that it they it, they don't just fall straight back into each other's arms. There is a period of readjustment, etc. Not least because Jamie has got married in the interim. His wife is still alive. And he hasn't told Claire in case she disappears back to the 20th century. Ay, ay, ay. So it's very, very drama. It gets away with the EastEnders level of drama because it's it's so historically well-researched, in my opinion. <laughs> Um, but, but, but but yeah <laughs> that's the thing though when we were talking about how you had divided for say 20 years which is the length of time 20 years is a long time it is and they are not the same people and they've had to go on completely different life courses in different centuries yes um, so I guess the question is are they still in love with each other or are they in love with the people who they were with originally and with who they were with that person? Yeah. Um, to be honest, I, I, I gave up on, on Outlander probably for similar reasons that you did. Um, <laughs> um, and I think you're absolutely right in saying that realistically, if we look at it realistically... Um, it, it's kind of hard to believe. It's not impossible. I will concede. It is absolutely not impossible. And it is also possible that actually the people that they are now, they've both changed, but actually they've changed in a way that's complementary. Um, that's entirely possible. But I'm just not convinced. Yeah, it's like... This is going to be the, the most random comparison, but um, competition sparring or knockout fighting, which is what I did a lot of, mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, I had my time. I loved every minute of it. I collected broken bones and bruises and black eyes and whatever, and I got very, very high up the echelons with it. You know, I got to professional level. Yeah. And I'm now looking back at it. <laughs> from a good sort of 10 years dis ten years and more distance. And mm -hmm. I'm like, 
that I don't actually really miss it that much. I still love it. Mm-hmm. I'm still kind of a bit in love with it. And every so often I'll watch a fight and I'll be like, I kind of wish that was me. But then the reality crashes in and it's like, yes, but would I really want to do that now? <laughs> yes. And I think if it was me in Outlander in Claire's position, I'd be like, I have very fond memories, but do I really want to go back to a time without antibiotics when women were basically chattel? Yes. <laughs> 20-year-old me handled that quite well. Not sure 50-year-old me. She's, she's older than I am. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. It's the same way I feel about getting back on the mats for professional fighting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's a good comparison, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, actually, that I think that, weirdly enough, that works very, very well. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's also, um, and I will touch on this, you know, just in terms of examples, and probably one of the healthy examples is in uh, Over the Moon. You get this. So as I've said, this is a story. It's the story of Chang'e. She has been separated from, from Hoi and uh in the film she has the ability to bring hoi back um if she uses certain magic it's a bit contrived but um hey ho she has she might actually be able to do it just um but uh one thing that the main character notes is that Chunga is not like how she imagined and how her mother used used to describe her. Um, and they make a note, you know, when she actually asks one of the other characters, the character says, oh, she was like that until she lost Hoi. And that interested me because the person that she had become didn't uh, you know she did actually look like she was enjoying herself at certain times she had changed she changed she developed and ultimately the person you know she is that person now that is the person that she has been and when she kind of she's going through the motions of sort of uh reconnecting with hoi you see this really interesting transformation where she changes clothes she changes hairstyles and she it goes backwards so suddenly she is dressed um and she looks like the person that she was rather than how she has been dressing how she's been holding herself um afterwards and at yeah. the end if you look at the way that she kind of dresses herself at the end it's a mixture between the two she's very much um, the kind of the person she was at the beginning of the film, you know, this completely transformed version um, with touches of kind of this past version, which almost seems like this acceptance. And I thought it was a really clever detail of kind of acknowledging, yes, she has she has become a different person um, and that's healthy and normal and she's embraced it and because she couldn't just go back and be, be someone else. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's talk about fated mates and soulmates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a no-brainer as to why this is popular. Uh, yes. The idea that there is someone just meant for you, who completes you, and everything will be perfect, is very appealing. Mm -hmm. Both in sort of 
general fantasy terms and as an escapist type idea. Um, it's seen especially in paranormal romance. Um, obviously, I'm not dissing paranormal romance at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we've said, it's necessary escapism. But looked at literally, this would be a horrible thing to happen. Yeah. Again, it is that separation. There's loads of things that I love in fiction, which I I would not want to be reality. You don't um. want to actually come out. And, it's, like hanging out <laughs> it's like hanging out with your favourite sort of, I don't know, bad guy, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> I don't actually want him to turn up and on the doorstep and say, I live with you now. Yeah. Um, where can I keep my pile of heads? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, there's, there's, you know, things that you can enjoy in fiction that you just wouldn't want in reality. Um, so we're not dissing this at all. Uh, but, you know, because you have to consider the reality of it and say, okay, but what if your soulmate was just a complete shit? <laughs> yeah, and you still had to love them. Yeah. It's like, that's not a happy story. That We're back from romance into horror very, very quickly there. Um, yeah. And I, the whole idea of being destined for someone removes choice, accountability, and the ability to be someone other than who you are with that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's that. Um, but one of the things that bugs me about this the most, I think, is the, the sort of really squicky double standard where the male, and it nearly always is the man, and it, these are nearly always male-female pairings as well, mm-hmm. um, feels the mating bond and that's it no one else is ever going to compare but the female has to accept it so she can you know she's given a bit of wriggle room in reality in all of these stories she always chooses that particular person yeah um okay and i know we've got some reverse harem where she actually chooses several of them now um and i get <laughs> this is like the female fantasy type thing yeah but it makes me very uncomfortable that the the male part of that equation doesn't really get much choice yeah i completely agree um and obviously you know it's trying to it's trying to rebalance years of um (laughs) of of the reverse situation historically and again it's part of that fantasy um but as a reality, it is. It is a kind of a little bit sort of like, ooh, not sure I like that. It's like, I, you know, even if you take male considerations out of the equation, and personally, I think men do deserve to be loved and chosen for themselves and have their own choices respected. Yeah. But even then, it suggests that women are not complete in and of themselves, which really pisses me off. Um, and it plays to this insecure cliche that men will cheat because they are men. Um, in reality, if someone cheats on you, it usually means there's something wrong with the relationship and maybe that you're just not good together. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that sort of, again, I love the idea of it. There's, I've seen some really nice sort of soulmate kind of ideas, uh, which are, are all very sweet and it's romantic and stuff like that. But the reality is that I don't believe in it. Um, realistically because I don't like the idea which is kind of put forward that you will only ever you can only ever love someone once that you can only ever love one person and again there are several reasons I don't like it first of all I don't think it's healthy Um, 
and I, I don't like the double standard of it either. So, for example, uh, you know, people are kind of willing to make concessions of, oh, okay, you've you've lost the person that you love. I guess it's okay if you know, many years down the line, you maybe get a second chance at love. But that's rare and beautiful, and that's bullshit. Um, I don't I don't agree with it. It also puts forward this idea that love is this effortless thing, which it isn't. Any kind of relationship takes work. Love is effortless in in the in the sense that um it shouldn't be difficult to love someone. But it can still be difficult at times and um to to live with someone, to be with someone because love is compromise and if you are spending a lot of time with a person you are going to have an effect on one another you are going to actually develop one another as people as well because that's what happens in any kind of relationship be it friendship or romance or or paternal familial etc um you are going to have an effect on each other if you're not having an effect on each other then then you've got to kind of have a sort of look at your relationship and it could be subtle you know no doubt it could be subtle yeah but yeah, this definitely. idea that there's just this pre-made pre-packaged person who is just perfect for the way that you are at any given time um kind of it it, it doesn't talk about it erases what love actually is which is a developing feeling yeah definitely and you know as you were saying about the whole well you know maybe you lose your soulmate so eventually you may be able to love someone else what i see happening in paranormal romance is the bereaved party uh dying slowly of grief or withering away basically yeah uh, particularly if it's a male character as well for some reason we really pick on men here they are not allowed to move on and find someone else yeah um, I, I hate that. I really, really hate I, that. I absolutely hate. I will say I do kind of believe in soulmates, but not romantic soulmates. Uh, I believe in a more sort of, this is just personal opinion, mm-hmm. um, but this is a more sort of karmic thing whereby soulmates are people that you learn from. So you might not even like them. They might actually be the person who keeps popping up in your life and causing lots of conflict. But you need that conflict because you need to learn and develop. Yeah, um, so I actually like that idea as well. Yeah, and sometimes they can be kind of like a best friend type character. As Again, it's someone that you keep who sort of pops up because they are the best fit to, again, progress you. Um, and you are the best fit to progress them kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, there are people that fulfil this sort of soulmate function, but I'm not going to suggest it's predestined. <laughs> no. Um, and also... I think that with the the kind of the whole soulmate thing or stuff like that, I think it's very possible for someone to appear in someone else's life at just the right moment and be just the most amazing fit. Yes. Um, And perhaps in some ways that you can have like a soulmate of a time, someone who you just connect with like crazy. And again, it doesn't need to be romantic. It could be friendship or stuff like that. Um, and then maybe over time you both become different people and that connection is gone. Um, that didn't mean that that connection wasn't incredibly special at that given moment. Um, and perhaps there was something karmic as part of it, but perhaps what needed to be done has been done, you know? Um, but the idea that it's just constant, 
<laughs> it just makes me laugh. Um, and again, I don't like it just from a very personal perspective because, as I've said previously, I lost my mother. Um, and I love my father incredibly and I'm so happy that he has found somebody else. Um, that he's married somebody else. Um, I do not doubt their love for one another and I have at no point doubted that he still loves my mother at the same time, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that love is... There's only... It, it's not like a house, you know? It's not like there's only a certain number of rooms and once you fill them, it's like, whoop, whoop, guess there's no more. We have to oust someone to get someone else new in. That's not how it works. I think that you can love someone fiercely and still love them um, and, and grieve them because I think grief, as we've said, is, is a form of love and also welcome new love into your life. Um, and I think the other reason that the trope of the kind of the soulmates, uh, the reason I don't like it is that it, it automatically therefore assumes that there's only one kind of right person for you, which I don't think is true because that would also imply that if you ever break up with someone or if you lose someone and then you get with someone else, they're essentially just a replacement or they're exactly the same and they're not. Um, the relationship you're going to have with this with another person is going to be different and they're not going to be the same kind of person exactly as your previous lover that's just I don't agree with that and I don't like that trope and if that is happening then you've got to ask yourself are you actually in love with this new person or are you just trying to hold on to the love the person that you've lost yeah definitely and I suppose the thing about that the, the little subsection full of thorns if you mm -hmm. like from that is the fact that if we say that there's only one soulmate for you and you lose them however then and this is the fix that most paranormal romance authors get themselves into when they're trying to make everything a little bit spicy again and carry on with the same characters mm -hmm. is they have to tear down the original soulmate and prove that they were not the soulmate at all and that the, ca the main character was actually incorrect yes and I hate that. I cannot say how much I hate that. It's perfectly okay to say, you know what, I loved that person, I was really, really into that person at that time in my life, and then I changed. And it may not even have been their fault, I changed as a person and we no longer fitted together. Yeah. Absolutely. Love, love is not like a hoard of gold. You don't have less of it the more you spend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jules is really coming out with the <laughs> This is what happens when you don't let me record for a couple of weeks It all just sort of builds up just, And then you get a flood of aphorisms just, 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 This is great <laughs> just Note all of these down We're going to have so many t-shirts um... <laughs> Yes, so uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to ruin my incredibility here By saying I want credit for the fact that I haven't mentioned A quarter thorns of roses I, yes I was waiting for it. But I am patting myself on the back because I haven't. Except you uh, just have. Except uh, I have, but I haven't gone into detail. <laughs> you see, the problem is I don't feel I get enough credit for the things I don't say. So every so often I have to say one of them to point out that I haven't said it. Yeah, your restraint is remarkable <laughs> and I do applaud you for it. 
Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the thing is that the, the soulmate AU is, is a big thing in fiction. I say the soulmate AU because you see it, or if you're on any kind of social media, you'll see the soulmate AU. People come up with like, oh, you know, you've, you've got the first words that you're going to say uh, to your soulmate tattoo. You know, sorry, you've got their first words tattooed onto your arm or, or that you have matching sort of soul marks appear or, you know, stuff like that. And it's all sort of like, oh, what a cool idea. What a horrible, <laughs> what a horrible reality. Yeah. Again, the line between romance and horror is a very thin one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our final trope that we're looking at. We'll burn the world down for one person. <laughs> Now, (laughs) I have to admit, I think this is a cool concept motive. Well, this falls into a cool concept or motive, but still murder. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to lie. I find this trope very entertaining in fiction. Yeah. um, Largely as a horror trope. In real life, it would be awful. And in many ways, it can be terrible in fiction. It's not supposed to be aspirational. I really hope I didn't need to say that, but... Anyway. Yeah, um, definitely. And, you know, there's different levels that you can make it, you know, so you can make it, which is the I don't care what the rest of the world is kind of going to going to say. Um, I will push through for the person that I love because we can only rely on each other. And at certain levels, you can kind of go, yeah, fight the power sort of thing. Yes. Um, and then at certain levels, you're like, oh, that's a lot of murder you're committing right there. <laughs> Um, where you've got to kind of reconsider. <laughs> it's like, so, yeah, basically the idea is that when lovers are divided, the one left behind moves heaven and earth to get them back regardless of the cost. So, again, doing the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula, whereby I will become an eternal creature of evil and just serially murder, murder people, because what else is the point? Um, he was not even really trying cohesively to get her back at that point, though, is he? So no. it, it's not really that trope, but it's that, that sort of feel. Um, but let's unpack that idea. So your romance is worth how many lives exactly? <laughs> <laughs> it's like we as humans are hardwired to with this sort of ours and the other's attitude. And it yeah. is how we survived because we were originally tribes and we will go back to tribal behaviour very, very quickly. Um, if civilization breaks down, it, it's kind of how we are. Yeah. I'd like to think we could choose better, but I'm not too optimistic. No. <laughs> anyway. And we do prioritise the individual. It isn't always a bad thing, at least not until Twitter gets involved. (laughs) Um, But if you're literally willing to let hundreds of other people die to get someone back, that's really screwed up. It it really is. Um, And again, we're we're kind of back at that Dracula idea, which is, (laughs) I will damn the world uh, so I can get get my lover back. not not a great idea um certainly not aspirational um i love the way that you phrased that though it's like how many <laughs> your romance is worth how many lives exactly like there's a quota and, <laughs> and if so long as you only meet the quota it's fine and then you just go one life over and it's like ooh, that's <laughs> well now we're giving that romance a bit of side eye because it might not be romance it might be obsession <laughs> um no in reality you should not be not be necessarily willing to murder a whole bunch of people to get someone back. Yeah. Um, but I love it as a horror idea. I love it in even the slightly cheesy mummy films from the from from the late 90s, early 2000s, I think. Oh, man, the mummy, yes. I love those films. 
uh, certainly the first two. But the, you know, you've you've got Imhotep who is trying to bring Anaxanamun back, um, and they had kind of a shitty time. He was a priest. She was the fairy's mistress. No man was supposed to touch her. She obviously didn't have a lot of choice in that. So yeah, you have some sympathy. But he's like killing loads and loads of people just in order to get her back. And at a certain point, your sympathy has to swing away from, yes, I can see why you're doing it, but it's not cool, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, <laughs> there's got to be another way that you can get laid. Um... <laughs> so, yeah, as I've said, uh, as a horror trope, it's great. I find it really entertaining. You will almost always hook me with that idea if we're looking at sort of horror. But if we're looking at romance, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah, absolutely. So um, examples. Um, Madeline <laughs> mentioned Wuthering Heights earlier. So we'll get the one she really hates out of the way first. I hate it because, first of all, for several reasons. Um, I hate it because I hate all the characters. Uh, second of all, I hate it because people have been like, oh, it's so romantic. And I'm like, yes, it's romantic in the case of it is romantic. It's gothic. It's horror. Um, their relationship is so screwed up. <laughs> yeah, it's a shit show. It was written as a shit show. I mean, I'm not sure Emily Bronte would have used my exact words there, but they would have been pretty close. <laughs> we we hark back to Emily Bronte. She's like, no, shit show is the right word. <laughs> oh, no, you carry on. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. Uh, and, back to, and now the weather. Um, <laughs> it's going to be misty. Uh, okay, so, but yeah, <laughs> Wuthering Heights. Um, you've got this very unhealthy love between Kathy and Heathcliff, um, which it's interesting because in some ways it didn't have to be unhealthy. I mean, they're always going to be a little bit unhealthy because Heathcliff is a weird guy. Um, and Kathy is also a little bit weird. Um, and they're weird because also of the way they were raised. So, you know, there, there was a possibility. There was a possibility where things didn't get completely screwed up. Uh, this reality obviously did not come to pass. But their obsession with one another, um, which kind of borders on supernatural, because, you know, you do have that element, which is that they're kind of tied together, and in some ways almost unwillingly. Yeah, uh, I can't... That There's a violence to their romance. If yeah. you can call it even a romance. A sort of, you know, I am Heathcliff. Yeah. Then Absolutely. he is me, kind of thing. Ask what souls are made of. That they're made of the same things, and you know it, it's an indestructible thing. I can't change it. It's almost like an alchemical process. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and obviously, <laughs> it's not very healthy. Uh... It, it's not healthy. I mean, then you have to bear in mind that uh, essentially they are abused children as well. Yes. Heathcliff especially, and Heathcliff is probably a Romany child who is brought randomly into the family by the father. Yeah. Um, um, and the other children don't initially take to him, including Kathy. And he's just the general butt of, of everything. Everyone's kicks and curses. Yeah. Which is obviously um, not a, not a yeah. healthy thing to be. No. The father dies and Hindley, the older brother, inherits and... Heathcliff's life gets so much worse. But mm -hmm. instead of casting him out or finding him somewhere else to be, if you, Hindley keeps him there and kind of exacts revenge on him. Um, Heathcliff, instead of being the bigger person and learning from it and, you know, maybe maybe trying 
for something better and making his own place in the world so it stores all these things up for future revenge purposes <laughs> but even so at that point i think if kathy had agreed to just come away with him that would have been it no one would have heard of them again they'd have gone off and they'd have done their own thing yeah kind of. but kathy has spent some time at the grange with the lintons and when she finally gets back to Wuthering Heights, she realises how coarse her life has been, even though they are gentry, even yes. though they're a very old family. And she cannot stand the idea of going with Heathcliff and being poor and dirty. Yes. So she kind of rejects him. And yeah, it doesn't go well from there. Really. No, it really, really doesn't. But I mean, like, for me, one of the one of the big things is that should be, you know, bigger... A big sign that something's up uh, is Heathcliff literally digging her up. Oh yeah, this is much later after she's died in childbirth. He's like sort of ten years after her death. He decides that he'll disinter her so he can hold her in his arms one more time. Which, like, I don't feel like that's a very healthy thing to do. No, there's a real selfishness for both of them to their their twisted love story. Yes. Um, yeah, and this is where it, it becomes incredibly hard when people say, oh, but it's so, so romantic. There's a wild romantic heroine and hero. I'm like, no, they're, they're literally nuts. They are literally <laughs> not playing with a full deck here, guys. <laughs> this is not normal behaviour. At this point, it's like, no. I mean, grieving her, his in yeah, and he does grieve her, and you can't help feeling sorry for him a little bit. Yeah. But... On the other hand, she, the way she acts, she sort of exacerbates her own likelihood to die. Yeah. She, she almost has a tantrum to death, except that she happens to be pregnant and stuff at the time. And because she has, is tantruming and it's not the best time for things like aseptic conditions, she does <laughs> die in childbirth. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So yeah, it's not great. And this isn't even touching on the second generation, which manages to be slightly less fucked up than the first, but not by much. Yeah, and, and like they only manage like it's it's, it's a very low difficult. Bar. It's it's a low it's a low bar <laughs> and it's very difficult because everyone else seems to be trying to make them as fucked up as the first generation. Yeah. Yeah, actively. <laughs> and it is just the whole point of the story is that if you let it, love will make you its dog and it will be your master. And, yeah. and you will end up this this grovelling mockery of a thing. It needs to be kept tidy and put in its place. Yes. And that there are many forms of love that are worth having, I think. But it's an incredibly bleak story. I can't quite quit it. But every <laughs> And every time I read it, I get something else out of it. I can absolutely see why people both love it and hate it. Yeah. The people I don't understand are the ones who go, but it's such a lovely romance. It's like, what What was lovely? The bit where he disinterred her or the bit where he hangs Isabella's dog from a tree? Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> what? Um, which, which bit is speaking to you? <laughs> please, please tell me. Obviously, I had many feelings about this to work out because I, I touched on a lot of them in I Belong to the Earth. Yes. Where you have literally... Uh, except I don't window dress it. I've got... <laughs> Hardyman is very much a, um, a, well, he is basically a serial killer. So, yeah. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's one because, of the reasons I was yeah. able to read I Belong to the Earth, because, as you know, I detest uh, <laughs> Wuthering Heights. Um, I just can't get, I just can't gel with it at all. 
Um, but I really loved your kind of interpretation of it as a, yeah, this is, this is a, a bad romance. Um, <laughs> this is not healthy. Uh, and again, very much we do get that theme in uh, I Belong to the Earth of I will literally burn down the world and murder many, many people just to have fleeting moments with you. Yeah. And obviously the point is that we're looking at it from a different character's perspective, someone who has unsuspectingly been thrust into this entire situation um, and who realises how dangerous this is and that she's the only person who can potentially end this cycle of violence where people just keep, you know, basically girls keep disappearing Mm -hmm. into the moor and what's happening is obviously they are dying, they're being murdered. So, uh, yes... But yeah, you know, I I don't want to say like it's my best work. It's not my best work, but it's it does touch on many different types of love as well and grieving. It isn't. Yeah. It's another book about grieving. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> it's it it's not strange to me that actually so many of these stories are ultimately about grief. Yeah. Um, because I think that really, as we've said before, love grief. It's the same banana, really, isn't it? It's the same banana. <laughs> it's definitely the same fruit bowl. Okay, so while we're talking about the really unhealthy I will burn the world down for you, Harley Quinn and the Joker, which I do not understand how people can hold them as an aspirational couple, because if you want someone really ride or die, I would go um, for the Adams family. Yes. Oh my god. Morticia and Gomez are like, yeah, that is absolutely a power couple right there. That, in every iteration of the scene. It super is. And I love I love how in love with each other they are. Um without it being unhealthy. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the the joke is obviously that they're they're clearly into some BDSM, but it's all it appears to be consensual and everything and clearly yeah. they're keeping the flame alive, so you go guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But Harley Quinn and the Joker, it's a case of you. There seems to be a yes, I'll burn the world down for you, I'll murder anyone you like, but I'm also kind of getting off on hurting you, literally. Yeah. And, and not in a consensual way. Yeah, and it is, you do get that it's an abusive relationship. And certainly, I think in a lot more of the modern stuff, people have kind of been accepting, yeah, that this is an abusive relationship and the joker can't really love if that makes sense he has a sense of ownership yeah um but the other thing is that the joker will always choose batman over harley quinn <laughs> yeah there, I mean, there must be so much fanfic about that oh there i'm pretty sure there is yeah <laughs> i am pretty sure that <laughs> I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I might no. never come back. But. <laughs> that is that is a place from which we will not return if we dare. <laughs> um, but yes, um, it's it's an interesting. It adds a kind of an interesting dynamic, and I, I do like the fact that yes, in a lot of the kind of the more modern stuff, we are getting people who are like this is not healthy it's not meant to be portrayed as healthy but you do still get the you know him her kind of couple outfits of you know the joker and i'm like am i missing something did i have i come to the wrong party <laughs> what's <Yeah>. going on <laughs> stop that i just i just don't get it 
no i i have to i mean i guess if you want a couple of cool characters then there are a couple of cool characters but the people there seem to be a lot of people online which you know obviously amplifies voices but mm. genuinely kind of like yeah we're this ride or die and i'm like mm. it's like i suppose there are people who if i turned up and they were burying a body i'd just help them you know give me an extra shovel maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> But I'd want an explanation, okay? <laughs> can we can we talk about this? <laughs> oh, we can't talk about it ever, <laughs> ever, never. <laughs> okay, so our final thoughts. So we, as we've mentioned, there's a thin line between love and obsession. Mm. And if someone has got to the point where it's more about winning, where no collateral damage matters, or they barely even know the other person anymore, then it's probably not a love story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to give one more example. Oh, for the love of God. I've just forgotten what the name is as well. Um, but <laughs> I watched an anime where they they actually highlighted this perfectly. This uh, the, the cruelness and the obsessiveness of love and, and how actually if you are obsessed with someone you're obsessed with the person that they were and that likely you're obsessed therefore with a fantasy yeah um and this particularly is the case if you're obsessed with someone who's died um because they've kind of more often than not therefore if they've died grief has focused in on the perfect aspects of them this is a pretty fairly natural thing to happen and plus they've stopped they've so stopped there is, yeah there is no chance of them ever going yeah wrong exactly <laughs> There was an anime, and I cannot for the life of me remember what it, what it's called. It'll come back to me at three o'clock in the morning. Um, but there was a demon who had fallen in love with a woman during like the feudal era. And she had died. And he has now been trying to resurrect her for years. And what he does is that he steals various body parts from young girls he just kidnaps young women butchers them and just steals various body parts in a very frankenstein-esque sort of way to recreate her body in how he remembers it and then to kind of put her soul into it and what happens is that he keeps doing that he has this perfect body. He puts the soul in. She awakens and she just starts screaming and begging him and cursing him and saying, you know, it is her. She's like, this is not my body. This doesn't feel right. Please stop doing this to me. Let me rest. He's been doing this for centuries. It yeah. is essentially torture for her. He will not let her go. Um, and she just keeps awakening to this horror show, begging him, screaming at him, cursing him. Um... And this is not the person he remembers. So he will... So I think either the body then sort of just breaks apart because it just is so incompatible or he kills it. And then he goes, no, that wasn't her. It must have failed. I will begin again. And... <laughs> again, we're in horror territory. <laughs> it's, complete, it's completely horror. And it's this idea that he has in his mind the gentle way that she smiled at him way back then. And it is so at odds with this woman who was cursing and screaming and begging him to just stop and who's calling him a monster um, that he just doesn't believe it. 
he he refuses to believe it he cannot accept that he um that that this is the same person that she would reject it um because he's not actually in love with her he's in love with that moment yeah um so yeah (laughs) that was the case where it's very much no this is this is horror that's that's 100 percent horror (laughs) definitely so so yeah as a as a vehicle to explore how someone gets lost in grief or loses an essential part of themselves these tropes are fascinating yeah and they can make a great premise for an adventure story so outlander Alanda, or horror the one madeline just mentioned or dracula for example <laughs> um but the question is then uh should they be pitched as romantic should they be pitched as romance um you know some of the most romantic things are actually very small and not especially exciting on the outside uh which might not make for a gripping romance but then you can strike a balance between the two i think yeah i mean have you ever watched how i met your mother no no um very purposefully because it it, (laughs) (laughs) well alan and i went through a phase a while back where we watched we basically got through all of them but then you have um lily and marshall who are like they're almost saccharine in their sort of romantic relationship yeah and they have their ups and downs but one of the things that always struck me was on the anniversary of their first date they always sit down and watch predator <laughs> because they went to the, sh- the video shop back in the days when there were video and dvd shops and they got out a film to watch and the wrong dvd was put in the box and instead of letting it ruin the date they just went eh, let's watch Predator. So now it's like their romantic film and they have an anniversary where they watch Predator every year. And it's it's that sort of small thing that can genuinely be a romantic gesture. Yeah. It doesn't have to be filling a cathedral full of roses or, you know, dropping the dead body of your enemy on someone's doorstep kind of thing. <laughs> Just as a for instance. Oh, sweetheart, I was hoping for a bouquet, but the... <laughs> The head of my enemies is also very romantic. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, some of the best romances are when one person flirts with obsession and then makes the choice to be a better person um, in order to be worthy of their beloved, I think. Yeah, I like that one because it's that idea of I love you enough to love myself and work on the things that I've clearly got issues on not necessarily because I think I'll win you over in the end but because you've made me see something different about myself yeah absolutely and that is I think realistic because it's a case of um obsession because when there when there is obsession it tends to be about a fantasy not about a reality an obsession giving way to a healthy relationship because as i said before when two people come together they will affect one another um they will change one another and and i'm not talking about sort of changing i'm gonna change you so that you become the person that i want you to become i'm talking about a very natural process that occurs when you spend a lot of time with with somebody else yeah definitely so yeah i like that now that being said you can absolutely still have that sweeping you know that romance you can have that that soulmate idea um it's a fantasy it's this kind of i I think we all love the idea of just having someone who is kind of perfect for you 
um there's a great sense of fulfillment in that in you know and there are lots of things in fantasy where the reality would be horrifying there's lots of times where you're just there like oh wow i love this sort of this fantasy show but you would be dead if you went into that world um, yeah <laughs> it would probably be awful for you but as a book it's perfectly safe and it's fine and you can have a lot of fun with it <laughs> yeah definitely so yeah um I think it's it's just about kind of how you want to portray it, what you're trying to portray, why you're trying to do it. And again, to also think that maybe if you do want to write romance, it doesn't have to be that in order to be hard hitting. There have been moments where like sweeping romances or stories where you've had this really beautiful kind of connection between characters has come in very, very small moments. Um, and these are the moments which people actually find the most beautiful. Yeah, definitely. So, um, <laughs> I guess we should finish up just kind of addressing how we've kind of touched on this trope in our own work as well, I think. Um, obviously, you've talked about I belong to the earth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't need to go back onto that one again. But, no. Um... um... I don't know if I've really... I'm trying to think if I've gone down the um, love and obsession type route. Uh, I have yet to write a romance where people just like each other and end up together without any problems at all. Yeah, heaven forbid. <laughs> <laughs> because for me, that wouldn't necessarily be realistic because everyone's got baggage and very few people have unpacked their baggage and put it away tidily before they get involved in a relationship. Yeah. So that's why you can't have nice things, guys. <laughs> that's why books will pass. <laughs> M and Kieran, who have such an obvious connection with one another, but no, no, <laughs> let's draw it out. Well, technically they got together at the end of the third book, so it's not really that long. <laughs> yes. Although I can't talk to... I, I'm starting to get a few nasty... Like sidelong looks from from other readers. Like <laughs> <Blackthorn>, so. Yes. <laughs> now you all know my pain. Um. <laughs> Madeline's been living like this alone for a long time, an incredibly long time. From the first paragraph that Jules sent me, I've been, I have been in this wasteland. Um. <laughs> um. I think. I, it's something that I've touched on, obviously, in The Sons of Thestian, in the case of Rufus and Mielen, um, in that he's very much grieving her. Um, and she's kind of a bit frozen in time as well, because of where she is and what happened to her. And I think one of the main reasons that they are gr that Rufus particularly cannot let go is that he he felt he feels that he wronged her yeah um and he cannot let go because he cannot forgive himself for that he cannot grieve her properly um because to grieve her is to accept that he he feels like he killed her yeah um you know so he he can't he's not allowed to grieve her he's not allowed to kind of just say i love you um i've got to let you go because um, he, that would be like forgiving himself and he can't forgive himself at this point, not yet. They were also very young when they got together as well, so it's got kind of all that 
late teenage angst behind it. They were. They were incredibly young. The other thing is that they had... Uh, when I first wrote the series, what I wanted to do is I wanted to give them this... They had a fairy tale romance. From a young age, even though they both dabbled and had different relationships, they always came back to one another. They were drawn. They were perfect together. They just completely loved one another. Um, it was always going to be, as it were. They were perfect. Um, and I wanted it to be that way because what I wanted was to show that this fairy tale doesn't exist. At the time, I was an angsty teenager when I was writing this. Um, and what I wanted for Rufus was to lose the, the fairy tale and to instead end up with a relationship which is a lot more difficult and which takes years to develop. You know? Yeah. Um... And the, as I grew up and stuff like that as well, it, it, I do get this element of the fact that, yes, they had this perfect romance because their worlds were small um, and they did like each other. They were kind of very connected. They were very much on the same level as one another. Um, but whether actually... It's quite interesting that if she had lived... And if Rufus had kind of continued to be with her, the person that he would have become would not have been the person that, that was necessarily capable of what he, he goes on to do. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I don't know whether they would have ultimately been, you know, very happy. I think in their minds they would have been. Um, but it would have been a much... They would have lived, continued to live in a very small world. Yeah, it's also the whole idea of grieving the things that could have been. Yes, which well. is definitely what Rufus is doing. Um, and it obviously takes him a very, very long time to let go um, and to forgive himself for being very young, a teenager, ultimately. Yeah. So... Yeah, and for basically also allowing himself to acknowledge that he didn't, you know, that it wasn't just her who lost a child. He lost the child. He lost that potential future. He lost the woman that he loved. Um, and he lost a large part of himself in the process. So, um, he could have very much continued down that path of that obsessive love if yeah. Jonathan hadn't been there like... Okay, mate. <laughs> Time to move on. Wake I mean, up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And Rufus needs a little bit of that on occasion. Rufus is definitely a dweller. Yes. He dwells, he hoards his pain, he holds it to his chest like a child. And so every now and again, someone just needs to come and give him a little slap and be like, let go of that. <laughs> Put it to bed. <laughs> Um, I suppose I've got a little bit of the we'll burn the world down for you in in moderation. We'll burn the world down for you in moderation um, in I Hold the Tide because you've got Jack Bonnie and Mariah Penhale who have mm. quite an unconventional romance and everything is kind of against them from the start and obviously it doesn't go well because this is a ghost story, guys, so someone's died. Yeah, absolutely. You also have it, I think, like a tiny, tiny bit. And again, this is where it kind of like, it's in acceptable sort of levels. Um, uh, a little bit with Gregory and Eleanor in the last <laughs> book where it's just, it's like, not quite I'll burn the world down. It's like, but I will commit treason. <laughs> 
I will yeah. I this, will uh, kill the king. <laughs> this knight who's been the most actually who's been more honourable than our the genuine story behind um the code of knighthood. Mm. And he's been a better knight than than all of them in many ways. But then you strike at this one particular place and it's like I don't care about the rules anymore. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to sleep while you're alive. Yeah. And I know a couple of people said they thought that was out of character. And respectfully, I would say, did you read the first two books? <laughs> because all the clues were there. Yeah, no. Gregory is is def- definitely a sort of a ride or die. Gregory and, uh, and Eleanor, they are an absolute unit together. Um, so it doesn't surprise me and again it, this is for me that was very much kind of on an on a, unacceptable level and it goes to show that this trope can definitely work yeah yeah definitely it's when it's a case of I, I will literally just kill anybody who gets in the way kind of thing yeah and then the other person's supposed to be oh that's so sweet but the other side <laughs> it's the <laughs> to be honest you get a little bit with Deadpool, you know, yeah. <laughs> just him. What's the guy's name that he's looking for? It's just Deadpool just murdering people across the country. But obviously he's kind of more looking for revenge than anything else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, there's times where it can be funny as well. Yes, um, Obviously, depending how it's done. So I, I am definitely not saying these tropes are off the table. They are absolutely on the table. Do with them what you will. Um, but certainly I feel like Jules and I have our preferences in that and I think it's worth examining them and asking yourself why you are choosing to do them are you doing them because you feel like you have to do them Um, or are you doing them because you you genuinely like it and you genuinely want it and if that's the case go for it no problem at all with that at all yeah Uh, so yeah I think that I think that's our conclusion (laughs) yeah definitely as you know we there's very few things we say don't do them at all yeah um but always know why you're doing something in your writing in fact in life in general would be good but that's a bit outside our remit yeah (laughs) and not life coaches life lessons with jewels (laughs) no you do not want to take life lessons from jewels (laughs) trust me on this Before we go, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week. And this week, um, I am going to be recommending Over the Moon, um, which is the animation which obviously triggered this whole discussion. It's very, very well done. It's nice to kind of see um, a story which is based on Chinese mythology. I think they cover it quite well. Um, The animation is beautiful. There's some really interesting music. Uh, there's some fun zany kind of characters this is very much a family film very much a children's film so um you know you can expect a certain level of kind of uh you know annoying kind of side characters but for the most part actually they're very pleasant the whole thing works there's some great humor there were definitely some laugh out loud moments um there was some really nice music and uh, it hit, for me, it hit very hard, very true, um, and there were some amazingly beautiful visuals and cinematography, which I highly recommend. Um, so yeah, great sort of film to watch. 
brace yourselves, it may hit harder than you expect it to, or maybe it won't, maybe it was just me, uh, but I do recommend it. Cool. And on that note, guys, we will say thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye! You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast. 